Good morning, I'm Ryan Rano, and today, writing the 28th chapter of the Perfume Chronicles, we have a youthful performance maker, Riley Spadaro. A recent graduate of the BPA performance making course at WAPA, Riley, at such a young age, has achieved many things. In 2014, Riley directed Elizabeth Murdoch's college production of Arthur Miller's The Crucible at the Briars. In 2017, whilst completing his studies, he was assistant director to Lost and Found Opera's production of Trouble in Tahiti and a Blue Room Theatre production of An Almost Perfect Thing. He, was also, he also became Playwriting Australia's program facilitator for the WA Advanced Writers Program and had a directorial secondment at the Belvoir Street Theatre with Barbara and the Camp Dogs. He once said in an interview with Christy Martin, to get my masters in directing at the Yale School of Drama is the dream. Riley is now set to complete a master's degree in directing with the National Institute of Dramatic Art in New South Wales. And before he jets off to the east, he's currently directing Minus One Sister at the State Theatre Centre for the 2018 Blue Room Summer Nights program. Welcome, Riley. Thank you, Ryan. That's a very, very impressive. Oh, goodness. Well, I was really happy because, you know, I give everyone like a quick Google, you know, do a little bit of research, see if I can <laughs> yeah. find uh, something, you know, interesting. And, and, I, and I was reading this beautiful, and thank God, article. Someone, I'm not sure... I can't remember the publication, but I, I did write down the um, journalist, Christy Martin, and yeah. the context of it was you'd just gotten into the BPA course, and I thought it was just a, it was a beautiful, nice thing, and it highlighted, and I can't believe you directed bloody The Crucible. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a time and a half. We did it in a, um, like, a heritage-listed barn at the top of a hill on, like, this estate in the, on the Mornington Peninsula. It was actually pretty cool. I mean, for, like... A year 12 production, that's pretty ambitious. Yeah. <laughs> As we are talking about high school and your, your startings, because was that the first time you directed? Yeah, I kind of like, as like everybody did, I, I think, you know, you kind of, my first experiences of theatre were all in like music theatre. Mm. And so I would like perform quite a bit. And then it, I know it got to sort of, I was 16 or something and I started to be really interested in like set design and then... I was doing um, sort of the VCE program for drama and theatre studies in, in Victoria is really amazing. That's like the, the waste yeah. thing here. And so I started to, I became like a Melbourne Theatre Company ambassador and saw like a bunch of shows. I think I saw like 12 shows in one year and would have all these artists briefings, like, you know, one of those sort of young development programs. And then, then yeah, I got to year 12 and I had a really amazing drama teacher since I was like 10 named Ange. And she was like, oh, well, for our year 12 play for theatre studies we'll do the crucible yeah. Riley do you want to direct it and I was like oh yeah why not I'm a bit of a control freak <laughs> and that's that's sort of that how that happened so did you stumble upon the arts or did the arts find you I I don't I was thinking about this the other day actually hmm. like you know because you're always asked like oh why did you want to be an artist hmm. and that always freaks me out a little bit but I I just worked with a director named Letitia Caceres um, in, in Sydney, who's, she's awesome. And her whole focus is on storytelling. And I was like, oh, maybe storytelling is what I yeah. gravitated towards. 
And like, you know, I remember, you know, my mum would take me to go see pantomimes and like my nan would like make for like, like bedtime stories, she'd make up these bizarre kind of things on the spot. I don't know. And then I just sort of, I, but then I was, it wasn't until I was like 10 or 11 that I did like my first drama class. I don't know. Mm. I did kind of just fall into it and then just realised that I really loved it and then kind of stuck with it, I guess. Because for me, it just makes, well, if I'm asked that question, and I do think about it a lot, and mm. I think it does help you, you know, ground yourself why, why you're doing this, you know, why you're fucking, and we can swear in the podcast, I'd like to remember. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> um, you know, why you, you're wearing the fucking mud, you know, working godless, you know, one o'clock in the morning. Yeah. You know? And for me, I think it just makes sense. Yeah. It just, you know, it feels a gut feeling. Yeah, this feels yeah. right. Yeah, it's weird. It is that feeling. It's just like, oh, everything sort of clicks in. And I think, I don't know. And I, I just, and I really love working with people. Yeah, and it just sort of the arts, you're all kind of always together. And so you can fall in love with so many people at once and it's just mm. beautiful. How would you describe yourself? Because I was thinking, so I was, when I was writing this question, I was thinking, you know, I was originally going to frame it like, oh, what do you put on your passport? Or, but so how, how would you describe yourself? Do you embrace the notion of jack of all trades? I, I'm, no, not really. I'm kind of hesitant towards that. Because I, so I've just studied um, the performance making course at Whopper, which is a very much kind of a jack of all trades um, course. And it's really given me a really amazing grounding. But then I think... I've just kind of probably over the last year, I've just kind of went, no, no, directing is what I do. Mm. So I think I have a really good training and a really good understanding of kind of a, or general understanding of everything. My designers that I'm currently working with will tell me I have no idea about sound lighting or set or costume design, <laughs> but like, you know, a good understanding of roughly how things work. And then, yeah, directing is sort of the thing that now I've went sort of focused in on. Mm. Yeah. Why are you pursuing directing? Oh, I, I don't know. It's like, um, that's a hard question, Ryan. <laughs> I think I really love the theatre. And lately I've really started to really love film. I just, I watched uh, Call Me By Your Name about three weeks ago and I sort of went, oh, the theatre is dead. <laughs> I just, look at this, I'm feeling so many emotions. I don't know, I just really love the theatre and I think that I just it it just feels right. I think like I see so much of it. I it's, it's always on the forefront of my mind, and then it just seems natural to them want to lead a process. Yeah, that would be why I would be pursuing it. Why go to NIDA is probably a different question altogether. Like, I think I kind of I just I really want to sort of focus for a year just on exactly how I can talk to actors because I know like I think directing is ultimately communicating, and I'm not the best at that yet. Did you look into, because, did you look into going to Yale? I, I did briefly, and then the tuition fees would be oh, yeah. too much. <laughs> yeah, so let that be a lesson at home. Aim lower. <laughs> yeah. No, the, the Yale program is really kind of incredible. It's like four years or something. But the NIDA program is very intensive. Yeah. Um, and, and it's produced some really exciting directors mm-hmm. that, I re- that I really admire. So I think... I think that just seems sort of a natural fit for me. Mm. Yeah. It's an interesting school. I'd like to, I'm not sure whether or not to study, but I'd love to visit NIDA and VCA. Yeah. Mm. I'm very curious about their sort of program as well. You know, being myself, the one thing I'm a bit miffed at, like in all the drama schools, as it were, there's not a course like a master's program in like 
adapting the classics or you know classical yeah. work. Well, everyone knows that's my sort of thing. But <laughs> you know, and I am now looking to travelling to the United Kingdom, which as you you will face that Yale Drama School school fee, which is just mega bucks. You know, mega. It's kind of insane. It's crazy. Yeah. Who or what inspires your work? Ah. Oh. Well, what should I talk about here? Like, like my favourite directors, or like, or yeah. um, well, I just worked with probably my absolute idol, mm. um, in Sydney. So there's a there's a Melbourne-based director named Letitia Caceres, and she's just cut. She's like Spanish at a like she's Spanish and Italian heritage, but learnt to like speak English in Canada, mm. and like trained to be a director in Argentina. She is insane. Like she's an insane human. <laughs> If she listens to this, yeah. I hope that she laughs. She was the associate director at the Melbourne Theatre Company for about three or four years. Um, she was kind of one of Brett Sheehy's new appointments when he first took over the job as um, artistic director. And in 2015, which would have been my first year of WAPA, I went back home to Melbourne and I saw a production of Simon Stevens' Birdland at the Southbank Theatre in the, in the Sumner Theatre which up until that point, like that theatre is like a complete void. You kind of, a play will just get completely swallowed by it. It's, it's a dead space. And for the first time ever, I felt like energy lift off the stage and hit the back of the auditorium. It was like I was in a rock concert. And I just went, that's a director that's clearly has such passion and energy and life. And I need to watch how she yeah. works. And then I just happen one day to sort of cold call email Belvoir Street Theatre while they're in the midst of like a big administrative changeover and the guy that I sent the email to wasn't there but his assistant was and he instantly put me in touch with Letitia and then I met up with her for coffee like a week later because I was coming back home from Singapore and we got talking and then she offered me kind of this secondment yeah. position on Barbara and the Camp Dogs. And she, so, so like a lot of, so I'm directing Minus One Sister at the moment um, for, for the Blue Room Theatre, um, but I've just come off the back of Barbara and the Camp Dog, so I've sort of tried to put as many lessons as I can in yes. that she's sort of taught me, like one, one very, very drunken night um, at Belvoir, I shouldn't say this on this podcast, um, I said to her, it was towards the end of previews for Barbara, and I was like, what is like the one bit of advice on directing that you can give me? Like just, what is your golden thing? Yeah. And in her incredible accent, she just said, you have to let yourself fall in love with the people around you. And I went, oh, wow. Okay. I think it's something, what inspires me in, in her work is that she does have total love and trust and admiration for the people that are around her. And then she's absolutely ruthless on them and it's yeah. kind of wonderful to watch you hit an interesting point dead space and that is you know obviously talked about in you know in the in the works of you know peter brook mm. i'm just curious to know do you have an ideal venue in mind like a theater design oh, i don't have an ideal one but i know spaces that i really don't like mm. i really like in perth i really don't like the heath ledger mm. Not because it's not beautiful or it's not an, a massive investment in, um, in the arts in Perth, which I think is so important, but it's the fact that it's sort of trapped inside a golden cage. Yeah. And I just think that maybe theatre should be a little bit rougher and a little bit more accessible. And when you put a theatre in, you know, this, this, this incredible wood panelling and inside a cage, yeah. I kind of go, are we doing... Is that the right use of our resources? Yeah. And is the work that we're putting on there actually necessary? No, it's interesting yeah. that you touch on because um, 
in a previous chapter when I was interviewing um, Marara Wangai, we did talk a little bit about the Heath Ledger Theatre. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we came with how we didn't like about the gold, the, you know, the glitter. Yeah. It's something a bit, you know? Yeah. Puts you off. Yeah, totally, it does. Yeah, it's a grand. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's kind of... Um, when I was at the... I, I went to the Australian Theatre Forum earlier this year and that, that kind of question about access came up. And I, th I think it was Jeffrey J. Fowler who said something like, if you... Like, with a theatre like the Heath Ledger, you know, you, you come, you pay for parking that's $20, you get a nice glass of wine, you're greeted by this incredible staircase and this golden cage. The work that you put on in that theatre, you know, the audience that you're inviting in are people who see themselves as VIPs and therefore the work that you're putting on might need to be like a luxury product. Mm. And and I and he is much more interested, as am I, in something that's a little bit more bringing theatre to people who don't see themselves like yeah. that. I don't know. Yeah. It's hard. I think, I think actually, um, there's some really great venues in, in Sydney, and I only use Sydney because there's so many of them and I've yeah. you know spent the last three months there um, like the Belvoir Street Theatre is kind of incredible I think it's a space that is just fascinating it's kind of like it's kind of semi-thrust like yeah. there's three kind of sections sections of audience but in, it's it's like the most intimate venue of its size it's very big but it's also very intimate I think the Griffin Theatre in Sydney is really kind of weirdly exciting it's like a diamond shaped kind of traverse stage um I know things like that where the lines start to blur really interests me. I re I quite actually like the studio underground. I think acoustically it's terrible, but it's mm. it's still very kind of <laughs> it's still very kind of like it's the it's it's you know you're very close. Mm. Just like at the Blue Room, you're very close to the action. You could almost be part of it. Yeah. I think it has something to do with like the studio underground. It does have a very big roof. Like there's the space. There's so much space up above. Yeah. And that really, you know, worries me. When you can, like, for example, like, you know, the Blue Room Theatre, mm -hmm. it's just so nice and contained. The roof, there's a little bit of space up above, but it's not like you're going to be shouting to the gods, as it were. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in the, in the underground, all the sound just goes up and gets sucked out of it. As I understand, my, um, my sound designer and Minus One Sister was explaining to me how acoustics work. <laughs> yes. Oh, and that must be Phoebe Pilcher. Oh, no, and so uh, our sound designer, um, a composer sound designer is um, Alex Turley, who's, who's a absolutely ferociously talented, absolutely brilliant, like brilliant. And then Phoebe Pilcher is our lighting designer, who is, who is also ferociously talented and absolutely brilliant. And actually watching the two of them somehow over this process, they've never met each other before and they've just worked so well together as a team. They're kind of a little bit unstoppable. I'm kind of in love with both of them. They're they're amazing. What are you looking forward to in 2018? <laughs> I'm moving to Sydney in two days, and I well, I, I move I move to Sydney in less than 24 hours, and I start NIDA in less than 48. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to NIDA. What? Oh yeah, yeah. So I we so we open minus one sister tonight at 9:30. I then get on a plane at 5:30 a.m. on Sunday morning. Get there at one o'clock Sunday afternoon. Start NIDA at 9 a.m. on Monday. <laughs> That's madness. Yeah, it's absolute madness. I'm insane. There's another director actually um, from Perth that's doing the exact same thing. Her name's Michaela Westall. Oh, and yes. so she's directing um, Matt Penny's show. Um, oh, fire out, what is it called? Find the Lady. 
Uh, yes, that's correct. The magic show, yeah. yeah so she's directing that, which opens tonight, and then she'll also, I think, be doing a very similar trek to me, which I just think is very funny. So there'll be two very tired, drunken, I imagine, directors at NIDA on Monday morning. What was the question? No, what no, am I excited no, no, about? Yeah, what are you looking forward to today? I, I, I'm really excited to work, to study at NIDA. Yeah. The program is kind of incredible. Yeah, we go to like Berlin for three or four weeks to study at the a drama school over there, and and then we go to um, Brisbane for a week to work with the Aboriginal Centre of Performing Arts um, students to help to devise a show yeah, with yeah. them, and then we we go to the Adelaide Festival and stuff. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited to just spend a year just kind of honing my craft. Yeah, I'm also really excited to see a bunch of theatre like I've not lived in Sydney. And I think the theatre scene there is really bustling and exciting. The independent scene's amazing. The main stage season is very cool. You know, there's a, like one or two projects that are kind of have been floated around. I don't know if they'll go ahead for next year, but I mean, I'm hoping they'll go ahead for November next year. But I don't, I don't know if that that'll actually happen. Hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm excited for. I think. So, do you think after studying your masters in NIDA, will you stay? in Sydney or would you return because I know Melbourne is your homeland that's your home state yeah I think I really maybe it's because I'm just sort of smitten smitten with Sydney at the moment Mm. because I just did Barbara and the Camp Dogs there I I really I really like the theatre scene there I absolutely adore Belvoir Street Theatre I think Eamon Flack is doing just an incredible incredible job of supporting new work and new Australian work and work that is very like is important yeah, I, I'll probably stay there for a bit longer. I mean, I'd love to go back home to Melbourne. I've been away now for three years, which is, it gets a bit, you know, it gets a bit lonely and sad. Yeah, I don't know. I'd like to come back to Perth to direct a show again. I've, I've really enjoyed the last, well, I've been here for three and a half weeks now just doing Minus One yeah, Sister, yeah. and that's just been, it's been very freeing because it's, I think Perth, you know, there's so much space well, not so much actual venue space. There's yeah. not a lot of that at all. But like, there's it, there seems to be a lot of space and time afforded to young yeah. artists and storytellers. Yeah. In your opinion, what is a quality that a director needs to survive? Oh, that changes all the time for me, mm. and it really depends on the day. Like, some days, I think generally speaking, I think good communication skills and a, and a kind of an emp- empathy no empathy it's definitely empathy yes. you just I think and I don't think I'm the best at that I think that I can have a tendency to, to bulldoze and be a bit of a tyrant at times and sometimes not as articulate as I would like but I think this process has really this process and Barbara and the Camp Dogs has taught me that there's a great value in listening to other people and making an effort to understand and then, of course, you know, there are things like your aesthetic vision should be kind of cool, but, like, that's, that's like, another part of it. Mm. I think it all comes down to how you can talk to another person and, yeah. I, th- I think it's that thing of, like, you just have to let yourself fall in love with the people around you and fall in love with your team and together fall in love with the project and hope that it works out. Yeah. And not cross too many lines <laughs> in this current age. No. And it's so sad because in the independent theatre scene, there's, it's so in a way it is so small and ever shrinking, you know, with funding and blah blah yeah. blah. blah. Um, yeah, you don't want to piss off too many people. No. Otherwise, you'll find yourself with no one to work with. No, and and you don't want to, and I don't think you want to make your personal life cross over too much either. Yeah, yeah. I think that there's, I don't know, maybe I'm a bit guarded with that, but um, yeah. 
I think because I think can become a bit messy. Yeah. I just thought of this. <laughs> I, don't know, I, just, I just thought of a question, a brilliant question to ask. I am very excited. Because um, I'm very curious the role of a director. Yeah. I find it very interesting between you know the role of a director, say, in a film compared to theatre. But I'm very, in your opinion, Riley, and to talk about your experience with Minus One Sister too, mm. what does a director do? <laughs> I think... Um, I don't, you know, there's so many theories, you know, I, I, I don't know how many times I've been told, you know, 90% of the director's job is the casting, like, which is, which is true to some extent. I mean, like, what do they do? I, I don't know. I just, I just kind of start and hope I get something right. And I hope that I get people on side. I think it's, I think that the director's importance is, I mean, I think the dire- a director in a process is so, so very important regardless of the type of theatre that you're making, if you're doing devised theatre, if you're doing, you know, contemporary dance, if you're doing a straight play, I think that the director's role is so important because I think that there should always be someone who can just sort of see the forest for the trees and go, that choice, not that choice. I don't know. I tend to just work on hunches and suspicions. I I never know. I I think that's something also I learned from Letitia. I, I, I asked her one day, you know, what what do you think is right? And she's like, well, I I don't know. There is no right answer. I just have a feeling that this version might be better. Yeah. And so she'll follow that scent for as long as it will take her. And I think that's what we've kind of done with Minus One Sister. I mean, so many times, I mean, I'm working with um, Jessica Russell, who even to her, you've heard her. Yeah. So she's the movement director on Minus One Sister. And like, she, she sometimes will come up with the most brilliant ideas and then you, you follow them because Mm. that's right. Just like, like when Phoebe Pilcher comes in with a really cool lighting choice, I'm not going to, just because I didn't think of it, doesn't mm. mean I'm not going to follow it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think you just have to be on the scent or like following the person that's on the scent. Yeah. And being able to discern who that person is at any one time. Often it might be you. Well, you'd yeah. hope that most times it's you, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I'm totally seeing the director as a guide figure. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'd be very interested because from memory, oh no, sorry, I, I do lie, I do have some experience when a director does have, for reasons which, um, so when directors have like a very strong creative vision and they want done, they've pre-planned things mm. and they want things done in a specific way. I've worked in that sort of context only because the the, 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 the people who are performing and designing the show are of little experience. Yeah. Yeah, the guide. Yeah. Directors are guide. I think, yeah. I mean, I've definitely seen work by directors who are much probably more. I don't want to use. I don't want to use controlling. Much more prescriptive. Mm. I think sometimes it, like sometimes it actually can be necessary. I've, I've assistant directed um, uh, Thomas Damali Burgess twice now for two different opera projects and I think sometimes with an opera project you actually do have to be quite prescriptive mm. you kind of you know because the music is set the score is set the, act, the actual singers can't make a lot of choices yeah. just in the nature of the form of the thing but I think I know I think if you approach theatre the same way you would get kind of a res- I've often seen results that are quite dead you know mm. I'm not sure if like uh, we have not been but we've, we have both seen uh, that Sydney uh, theatre company production of King Lear with Jeffrey Rush. Oh, I love Directed that. by Neil yeah. Arkell. And I believe, I think reading from the program 
and staying back for the Q&A afterwards, I think Neil Armfield is a person who is a bit prescriptive. I think, yeah. I don't know. I've I, I've heard really interesting things about his directing. I've heard it described as sort of a backyard style. Mm. And I, I had a teacher at Whopper, um, Rachel McDonald, who sort of was his assistant for many, many years, and she was explaining his process to me one day, and she said he just kind of lets it kind of go for three and a half weeks and then in the last you know week of tech it becomes put your downstage foot up take the cup with your left hand drink one sip look at that person and apparently he just crystallizes everything in one moment i i would like to see how he he works yeah, yeah. is it interesting production yeah it was it was a very interesting like it, it felt very modern i remember yeah. it, it felt very now I mean, I was just totally besotted by Jeffrey Rush and Robin Nevin being on a yeah. stage together and I and Mark Leonard Winter, who I just think is the best actor in Australia. And it was like, it was just such a beautiful production from that respect. The one thing I did not like, and as being like a Shakespeare nut, I knew they cut out the very first scene of the play, which sort of, which um, it's between the... Duke of Albany and Gloucester, and they're introducing the villain, basically, of King Lear, um, Ed, Edgar? No. That's a villain, because you got... Uh, oh, no, no, Ed, Edmund? Edmund, yeah, Edmund. Yeah. Uh, of thou nature, my goddess. Yeah. To thy law, my services, blah, blah, blah. Because um, I remember they cut out that first scene, and I should have brought it up in the Q&A, because I was curious as to why, because it really helped set up. Yeah. And I felt like that actor who played, who I can't remember... Um, who played Edmund you know he had a lot of work to do because I remember you had that big party scene where Robin Nibbon comes out and like, dressed as Marilyn Monroe yeah. it was oh. nice there's like these big streamers and yeah. whatnot. but I really thought and then after this party and like you know ch- ch- shit happens um, you know King Lear have, you know with his three daughters you know has that bit and then Along comes Edmund with that, the famous monologue, Thou Nature, yeah. My Goddess. And it's kind of weird because we don't get introduced to his character and I thought, oh, and that's then now, weird. Yeah, actually, yeah. See, I'm a massive fan of, like, short and sweet, in and out <laughs> theatre. 50 minutes. <laughs> if I have to be in a chair for longer than two hours, it should be a human rights violation. Don't want to do it. <laughs> um, but, but, yeah, you're right, actually, sometimes it is... Yeah, he wasn't quite set up that well in that production. Yeah, he did have a lot of work to do, you're right. That was my own little thing about it. I'm, I'm such a, like a... I'm so, I've, I've, I think Shakespeare is actually one of the biggest holds in my knowledge. You know, I, I've, I have not engaged with Shakespeare nearly enough than what I sh- probably should have. I think if somebody... T- if Bell Shakespeare came to me tomorrow and said, oh, do you want to direct a production? I would say no, because I just would not know how to start. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, that's, which is really fascinating for me personally because yeah. I think a lot of people's first experiences in theatre are like through Shakespeare and the classics and I have a massive hole when it comes to the classics um, you know my knowledge is kind of from sort of the 70s onwards yeah. which is weird and like all that's happening right now but nothing kind of prior very interesting is yeah. no, nothing wrong with that is there a work that you would like to direct in the near future oh, there's so many is there a play that sort of caught your eye or...? Mm. Yes. Um, there's a few. There's uh, Katie Mitchell, who's a UK, um, a UK-based poet and playwright and novelist. She wrote a long-verse poem 
called Let Them Eat Chaos. And it's all about kind of, it's, it, and then it was turned into kind of this spoken word rap album. Right. And it's, um, it's really kind of incredible. I, it's, it's all kind of about being displaced in a city and not being able to afford the rent and kind of all the, all the issues that I'm facing now moving to Sydney, you know, yeah. I can't afford this, I can't afford that. And then, and there's, it's, there's, it's sort of about these seven characters that are kind of trapped in their sort of up very small London apartments, London flats. And they just, and they never sort of communicate with one another because it's all about sort of how we're isolated and, yeah. and then a big storm comes in and then they all come out and then they have to face, face the world. Yeah. It's, it's such an incredibly beautiful piece of text and I and I'm playing with the idea of how maybe that could all come together as a stage piece yeah if she would let me do that and if somebody would let me put that up but um that's kind of on the forefront of my mind at the moment I'd also really like to direct um Escaped Alone by Carol Churchill which is about these like 70 year old women and it's all about kind of their this kind of existential um trauma or, or grief or horror that's really cool and then there's another play called Anatomy of a Suicide by Alice Birch which is kind of like three plays happening at once and it's this it was directed at the Royal Court this year by or last year by Katie Mitchell who's kind of a incredible theatre director and I would I would love to do that production because I think that would be such a challenge so they're the the three that are like at the forefront of my mind right now will I do any of them who knows but like you know I'm forever going to bookstores trying to find a new play and something that will catch my eye (laughs) (laughs) how do you handle stress oh poorly that's a thing in the arts isn't it I think artistic burnout is just something I there was a um, keynote speaker at the Australian Theatre Forum that said you know I think with artists you wear your we, we kind of can wear our exhaustion as a badge of honor it's like I my lack of sleep is evidence of something yeah. inherently good about myself even if I don't know what that is and um you know I'm not sleeping because I want this more than anyone else wants it and I am working hard I think and I think stress is the same thing it's like I think we overwork ourselves totally I think you have to have a really good self-governance I think you have to exercise really quite incredible self-care but I think that's hard because there aren't many jobs Mm. and there's a lot of people that want the few jobs there are and yeah stress I think is just part of that deal unfortunately Mm. I I don't know I I really like like when I get stressed I, I go to the gym and I don't eat food which is a bad thing. <laughs> I mean, it's good for opening night. I'm going to look very good in my shirt tonight. But like, it's like, I think like that's what I, that's what I do. Cause I just, I'm like, I can't eat. I don't have enough time to eat, but I'll have enough time to go for a run because then I can just sort of focus my yeah. energies on something. It's really weird. It's yeah. There's, I think um, I'm working with Phoebe Sullivan at the moment oh, yeah. on, on minus one sister. And she, like all of us that have been working on the project have been getting like four hours sleep. Like Alex Turley will, be up until 3am writing music for us Phoebe Pilcher the four nights before tech got maybe an hour of sleep a night I've been averaging four but Phoebe Sullivan who's has really good self-care protocols you know she's like you know I've been in bed at like 10 o'clock every night and, and you know I'll wake up at seven o'clock the next morning and I'll I'll be eating well and I'm like how have you done that but she just has such incredible self-discipline I'm really inspired by her like totally inspired 
and I don't know how she does it, but she just and she and she does she does work harder than anybody else I know. Yeah. But how she does how she works that hard gets so much done. But take, having eight hours sleep is just fascinating to me. I, I just she's a witch. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully she will be appearing. I, I, I want to interview Phoebe. Oh, well, I'd love to. Yeah, ask her about stress. Yeah. But I, I love it, and you're so right how you talked about it. it's like a badge of honour. Yeah. Like, I, I have to say, I'm, I'm guilty as charged because... Yeah, totally. You know, ...producing, stage managing, and assistant directing um, Soup. Right, yeah. You know, and I'm like running around like a headless chook organising the set and props and organising transportation. You yeah. Know, bump in at the Perth Town Hall, which is tomorrow. Oh, you know, and I, I was about this morning, as soon as I woke up, I had like a flood of messages. Not a flood, like a little, you know... Fucking, well, yeah, oh, yeah so that's right. <laughs> Fucking messages scare me on Facebook, you know, from the director and the producer. Because yeah. I, th- no, it's simple questions that need answering. Yeah. And I find it, I just go, yeah. yeah oh, I'm, for the people listening at home, Ryan is now erecting his hands in a, like, flashing manner. And his <laughs> eyes became very wide. <laughs> very wide. Yeah. No, yeah, I totally understand that. I, I'm very guilty of, like, people, I, I don't, but particularly on this for Minus One Sister, you know, it's been three and a half weeks. I've had a really good team. Like, I've had Emily Stoko producing and production managing, and I think the absolute world of her. I think sometimes she wants to punch me in the face because I can be so intolerable, but, like, and so bad. My response times to emails are shocking. Like, they are so bad. I feel so sorry for our publicist, Samantha McLean and Zachary Sheridan, and our marketing coordinator. They're forever sending me things, and I don't get back to them for a week. But I just, I, yeah, I just don't... I think it's the stress thing. It's like, I just don't have the headspace for that right now. Yeah. But it's so simple. You just have to go, no, no, I, I can do the, that thing. I can send that email. I can read that bit of information and reply. It doesn't actually take that long. But it's just absolute panic. <laughs> so bad. I think I said this, in a, this was sort of addressed in a previous chapter. I think there's some sort of, in the arts, you're addicted to that. Because I think stress and panic gives you energy. Mm-hmm. And sort of drives you. Yeah, you run on adrenaline, totally. Yeah, it was so bad. I mean, we've been doing six-day weeks, ten till six every day, and it's just like we haven't had any like rest, really. I mean, we've just had Sundays, and I don't think that's been enough. I think in hindsight, we'd probably get a lot more if we just took Saturdays off as well, but yeah, yeah. it's hard. What will you miss about Perth? The sky? I really like the sky here. It's not like in Melbourne or in Sydney, it's open. It's really open and it's like there's endless possibilities. That sounds so sappy, but it's so true. It's like I love, I've been living in Scarborough actually for the last three weeks. I've woken up every morning and like for the first week and a half I went to the beach every morning. And it's just, I just felt totally kind of relaxed in that moment. And And I think, yeah, in Perth it's like, just look up and there's endless space around you and that's so beautiful I think yeah there's that I obviously you know I spent three years here so a lot of my you know friends are here and you know it's like they're my second family is here I think that the Blue Room Theatre and the staff at the Blue Room Theatre are just kind of sensational they're just kind of remarkable humans I think Jenna and Harriet and Julian and Roger and and Ryan and I've missed like probably five of them. Um, I just think that they're such. They they love what they do. They do. They're incredible at what they do, and they they care so much. And I think, 
I think in a place like Sydney or Melbourne, you don't find that, that level mm. of care. I mean, I think they really nurture people here. You know, I did some, I, I interned with Performing Lines WA as well all of last year, and it's the same kind of thing, like um, Fiona DeGarris and Rachel Whitworth there and Zanab, I just, they just care so much. It's a very nurturing city. It's unfortunate that it's so far away from everything else that is happening. Mm. Yeah. It's kind of good doing this podcast series and one of the, hopefully by, by yeah, definitely by the time this chapter airs, like I interviewed um, Kyle Morrison from the Iriakim. Oh, yeah. And He's doing some incredible work oh, over there. Just incredible. Fabulous, right? But I like it, him and Paul Selwyn Norton of Strut Dance, they're, they're starting to establish national centres of performance yeah. with Yuri Arkin and Strut Dance, with, you know, dance and Yuri Arkin for Aboriginal Theatre. Um, I like, that's what I like about Perth, there's this sort of sense of, you know, let them come to us. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, just even being here for three years, when I first got here, I think, I think that, you know, Perth has changed so much in three years. Like, it is, it's developing at an incredible rate. Like, when I came here, I could not get a good coffee or smashed avocado to save my life. And now I have about five places that I can go to. And I think that is the mark of the civil engineering and achievement. <laughs> civil development. But, like, but it's, and it's across, but, like, that kind of thing is across everything. I think, like, the infrastructure in Perth is getting better. I, and then I think the artistic infrastructure of Perth is getting better. Like, there's some really great companies here that are playing in a national space. And I think that's so exciting. I, the Last Great Hunt is a really exciting company. I think Black Swan under Claire Watson is, is going to actually start being maybe a national player now. I mean, yeah. it, it's been kind of the, the poor cousin for a while mm. you know the poor like third cousin that you don't really see or talk about <laughs> but I think under Claire it might you know yeah. I think the company will in, like improve and I think yeah there's a lot of interesting work being programmed this year like a play that really stand out for me was uh, here mm. H-I-R um, there's um, um, Taylor, Taylor Mac Samuel Mac what's his name Oh, the, well, I know the. I think the the actor is playing. I think it's in one and one character show. Uh, Igor Sachs, no Sass. Igor Sachs. Oh yeah, yeah. It's yeah. It's it's like a it, no. It's a it's a family drama kind of thing, isn't it? And oh, it's oh, like sorry, that, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's all about it's like a savage sort of satire on gender neutrality yes. and and the family relationships. Yeah. What is the playwright's name? Taylor Mac, Samuel Mac. Oh, I've probably got this so wrong. But if people look into the Black Swan State Theatre Company's website, they'll yep. see a very interesting, and obviously there's there's a big um, play happening with um, the, the Yari Arkham Theatre Company, Space Program, something to do with Space yep. I'm, yep. God, I'm Skylab. Going. Skylab, that's the one. Yep. Um, yeah, a, 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 an interesting program awaits us. Yeah, and I think that how Claire has, I mean, because I think that the that the state theatre company audience in Perth is very risk averse, um, like incredibly risk averse. And I think that what Claire is doing so brilliantly for the 2018 season is that she's she's programming kind of more classical, more conservative works in the Heath Ledger, but then pairing them with more kind of contemporary, nuanced, progressive works in the studio underground. So it's kind of like, well, yeah, come and see Summer of the 17th Doll. You know the Summer of the 17th Doll. You know, it's a lovely old Australian classic play from the 50s up in the Heath Ledger. And, oh, I've paired it at the same time with here, downstairs 
you know and yeah. then hopefully you know some of that audience will trickle down and they might not love it but they've seen the play they love and now they can compare where the theater like the theater, yeah. where the theater was and where it's going and then they can work out yeah their own journeys through it i think that it's kind of a masterstroke actually do you have any concerns for the australian art sector as we head to 2019 heaps so many <laughs> um yeah funding is always going yeah. to be an issue i think audience reach is always going to be an issue i mean the, even me who i'm one of the i'm probably the biggest theater animal i know one of the biggest theater animals i know even i when i went to see a film called call me by your name the other week i went theater can't do this and i you know i was had all these emotions for like five days afterwards yeah. and so i'm just like how there needs to be a reason why people come to the theatre. Mm. And I think it's to have this kind of shared experience. And I think that we need to be making and programming work that facilitates that kind of exchange to happen. Yeah. I just think, like, why, why do it? And once we work out why we're doing it, then how are we going to get people into the, our venues yeah. so that they also understand why they need to see it? And, yeah. I think we're now entering a culture because we we hit it on early. Because uh, I'm like you, I do like shows that are like an hour mm -hmm. in and out. I do not like intervals. No, I don't like. I them. like them in a big splashy musical, but that's because yeah. I like to get my mid-show drink and yeah. my, you know, I like to go see the big act two opener. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think there's always that argument and you know this is always applied with you know radio for example like you know when tele television came along oh, I was gonna you know kill radio yeah well theatre's still around radio's still around yeah I know because it's we're interesting a very how audiences consume art whether mm. it be live art or recorded art you know with Netflix you know streaming internet yeah and impatience and yeah it's an interesting question, I think. I think, yeah, the Netflix culture really interests me, the, the streaming culture. I mean, I participate in it and I think it's wonderful, but I think also, like, why... I just think we need to be... You know, we need to sell our shows to people so they will leave their bedroom. Yeah. Because where you could just watch really quality programming on Netflix all night or you can come to the theatre for something that's much more expensive, but maybe you might have some kind of weird spiritual awakening, you know? Like, yeah. It's, it's an, hard. If we were to dissect it, and we've got a little bit of time to dissect <laughs> this, well, it's just because, you know, so do you think, I don't think it's enough, but is it enough for, okay, so, okay, yes, we've got Netflix, right? Yeah. You, you can watch, I don't know, uh, the new Jim Carrey documentary on Andy Kaufman, I don't know if, you, <laughs> if you're into that, or, I don't know, Game of Thrones or, or what have you. Yeah. Um, I was a big Downton Abbey fan. Downton Abbey? Which is brilliant programming. <laughs> Maggie what? Smith is a national world treasure. She certainly is. <laughs> what She's, was your question? No, no, well, I, 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 maybe we shall talk about Maggie Smith. <laughs> so, um, no, it's just, do you think it is enough for like people, okay, so you go into theatre, hey, you, you get to meet people, you, you get yeah. to be in the same room with, uh, with people. <laughs> um, I don't know, is it... Or something extraordinary about being live, being in the room, the smell, the touch. Yeah. The, uh, your senses are being more catered to rather than just by seeing and listening. Your other senses of like touch and feel and, you know, yeah. and smell. I think, yeah, it's a, that, yeah. 
I think we should be hitting all of them. Actually, you're touching something really interesting. So I just, as you know, I worked on Barbara and the Camp Dogs in Belf at Belfort. And it's, it was this rock musical by Ursula Jovich and Alana Valentine. And it was sort of vaguely, vaguely semi-autobiographical in a way. In, like, you know, in very certain ways. And so it's this um, indigenous rock musical um, starring Ursula and Elaine Crombie. And it was so moving to the point where every, well, every single night the last song would happen. It was called Letting the Love. The lights would go out and by the time they were up again, the entire audience was on their feet screaming. Like, and then they'd keep clapping and then the encore would happen and, you know, either they'd be up for the whole encore, which went for seven minutes, or they'd sit back down and then they'd leap up to their feet again at the end of it. And there was one night where um, there was there were these young in, young Indigenous women who were from Ursula's country mm. who were all kind of aspiring musicians. And I, sort of, Letty and I were sort of sitting behind them in this mm. preview. And it was so fascinating to watch, A, how they, they sort of consumed the work because, yeah. you know, they would sort of duck out and have a smoko quickly, come yeah. back in. But then in that encore, they got up and raced down to the stage and started dancing with Ursula and the whole audience was up on their feet crying I was sitting on top of my chair, like on top of the, the thing next to Letty, and it was like this weird release. It was this cleansing. And I just think, I mean, that I've never experienced that before, but in that moment I went, holy shit, the theatre is capable of so much more than what, yeah. what I've ever seen. But that's like one project, you know? Yeah. That's like a once-in-a-lifetime kind of project to work on. That's magical. I was reading an article actually recently where it says that when you see a live theatre experience, all of the audience's heart rates would generally sync ah. up. I think there's something really beautiful and poetic in that, and you have a weird kind of connection to the people around you. I just love the theatre. Yeah. <laughs> see more. Minus one sister. Oh, yes. I'm curious to know because your cast is extraordinary. You've got Phoebe Sullivan, mm -hmm. um, Isaac Diamond. Brilliant. Um, uh, Somerville, her last sorry. Oh uh, yes, and then Stephanie Somerville and Sky Becker, who have just graduated Whopper acting, who are extraordinary. Have you learned anything from your cast? Oh, I've learned something from them every day. I don't. I don't think there, there hasn't been a moment in that rehearsal room where I haven't walked in and learnt something quite profound about myself and them. I think every day, you know, they challenge me. I think what I've learnt with this cast, more so than probably any other cast that I've worked with, is that people are just so unique and different. Mm. And and I think as a director, you can't approach your cast as one. Um, as You can't approach yeah. them all with the same mm. way. I think you know, directing is so lonely and I do not like giving notes at all, but they are so important, yes. you know? And I know that I... That... If I give a note to, to Sky, for instance, it'll take three days and then it will be there magically mm. and it will be incredible. If I give a note to Isaac, it'll be worked that moment. If I give a note to Steph, it'll be, you know, like people just come to the table at different times, but it doesn't mean that they're any lesser or better than anybody yeah. else. It just means that how they process things is different. And I think I've asked a lot from them this process and I've started to work out what I... Yeah, what, what you sort of can and can't ask mm. of somebody. Because it's a lot, you know? 
getting up and rehearsing for eight hours and pretending to be somebody else is a lot to do. Yeah. But it's, like, yeah. yeah, and then, and, and, uh, but it's also really good because we all have a personal relationship with one another. I mean, we're all peers, effectively. Like, we're all, we all graduated Whopper vaguely the same time. Nobody, there's no kind of, there's no kind of weird superiority complexes happening. And so it's, you know, if I've said something, like the cast is quite happy to kind of, you know, catch up with me after a rehearsal and just go, oh, this, you know, this thing I think maybe you could do better this way and I'll, you know, you could, oh, you could have articulated yourself here better. And, you know, it's this weird kind of thing of we're all kind of helping each other out yeah, and helping each other do our jobs the best. It's been really beautiful. And I think, and like, and that also extends to like the whole team, like Alex and Phoebe and Caitlin and Callie, they've all, they've all taught me as well how... <laughs> how I can be better. I'm very interested in your rehearsal room. I know this is me coming from like a stage manager, um, running of things point of view. Yeah. Do you keep things formal, like language is formal, no swearing? No, I'm so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it. No, I, I'm. No, I think I'm the same out of a rehearsal room as the way that I'm in it. I'm a little bit maybe if I know I need to bulldoze through an idea at some point, maybe I'll be a little bit nicer in the lead up, <laughs> you know? No, no, it's, no, it's very, very casual, but it can be casual because everybody in that room has incredible work ethic. It's not like I have to enforce a kind of rigor. I think the best person I, I love, I've worked with Jessie Atkins, our stage manager twice now, and she is just wonderful. She is absolutely an asset. Jessie Atkins, book her, book her, book her for all your work. She just, she absolutely knows she can sit there at, you know, her, her stage yeah. management desk doing her prompt copy. And she knows that like the conversation, you know, she knows when to stop the conversation and when to let it just sort of keep going. She can read a room better than any stage manager I've ever worked with yeah. before. And she's just, she's an absolute gem. Like, you know, we'll be, we'll be talking shit for so long and then she'll be like, right, so I'm page 54. And then we're like, yes, Jessie. <laughs> we will just keep going. She's absolutely wonderful and just a wonderful human and yeah and you know and I'm also like I also love having the designers in the room every day like particularly Alex and Phoebe they've just been there nearly every rehearsal working I mean Phoebe Phoebe Pilcher like you know her job all starts when we're in the theatre really but like she was there from basically week one reading the you know watching the the action and then just sort of writing in her notebook all these lighting cues so by the time we got to the theater her plot was basically done it was really fascinating and and alex i've never i do not understand how qlab works i don't understand how music works i have i have literally no idea any of that and i think sometimes he must think that i'm speaking in different languages to him because like I'll, I'll say things like oh, I think that this the soundtrack here needs to be a bit more sh- boomy you know it needs to be a bit more boom 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 and then somehow he will translate my words my made up language into something that sounds exactly what I wanted and it's fascinating to watch it's yeah. like yeah they're really good they're really an incredible company oh, it's quite windy well I'm looking forward I, I think by the time that this episode comes out I think that People would have already seen the show. Wonderful reviews. Um, we hope. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really. I think. I think it's very interesting because see, this is whoop, shit. About my, half of my cough is about to go over the table. Um, I find it because you. So you're at the Studio Underground, and I yeah. know there are other productions yeah. performing at this in the same space mm-hmm. at the same time. 
So did, does your did your production have to be mobile? Oh yeah, yeah, and it's huge. Yeah, we have a twenty minute bump in. The set is the set contains these massive four meter tall walls that are all angled and like it's like this tiled space, this very tiled sort of box. And somehow the designers have made it so as that it all gets bumped in within 20 minutes. And it is absolutely fascinating to watch them do it. I have, I just, yeah. Like, because it's a, it's a huge show. I didn't realise how big it was until I started working on it. Like, the whole thing is underscored. By, by, the whole thing is underscored, with the exception of one scene. And there's, like, a hundred and something lighting cues. And there's, you, you know, it's it's... Or lighting and sound cues. I might have got that wrong. There might actually not be that many. There's a lot. <laughs> but it's just, it's humongous. It's like a machine. Once it starts, it does not stop and it can't. Yeah. And somehow the team have made it transportable, which I think is so cool. <laughs> that's fascinating. Yeah. Because that's the one thing that would give me the shits. Because you, you had a wonderful studio. So that's why, that's one of the things I do do and do not like about the festival. It's like, you have, you're, all productions are practically mobile. Yeah. Because you have to get out of the space because you know you've yep. got another act coming on. Yep. Or and, another... and your lighting rig is not your own lighting rig. Yeah. It's a very standard rig. Phoebe's done some incredible work on a standard rig for Minus One Sister. Really amazing stuff. Yeah, it's... it's. I don't know how it works. It's Kaya, It's remarkable. Well, Riley, time is almost up. Oh, my goodness. Because it's always... Yeah, it's been an hour. Oh, so my God. Yeah. <laughs> But before we go, as you might be aware, that a signature signing off question of the Perthian Chronicles. <laughs> I've got the coughs because we're standing under the tree. And, and as we watch out, there's this beautiful cool circle of children. Yeah, they, they all have. So there's all these very young children and kind of their families all wearing headphones, sort of like holding hands and running around in a circle together. I think it's a bit of contemporary art. Yeah, in and out. Oh, they're holding flyers. I'm, I'm definitely going to get a flyer for that. Yeah. It's like a silent disco. Oh, now they're dancing. Another starting. Go home. No. <laughs> this is actually the most kind of beautiful thing I've ever seen. Not just people can hear it. They're saying, yeah, yeah. Or clapping. And they all have really interesting hats on. It's a silent disco. Silent disco. Never heard of them? No. Really? Yeah, never. <laughs> this is a big thing in America. It's a way to keep the noise down and have fun. They just use headphones to keep up with the beat. That's brilliant. Wow. Fascinating. Artists are clever, aren't they? Yeah, they used to have a silent disco um, in, uh, down there, actually. Yeah. yeah. Going on for about a month or so. Alright. Wow, wait. Hey. That's quite a quite a lot of joy that would just happened. Yeah. Yeah. What is this question for the what's the last question of the Perthian Chronicles? Um, as a wonderful brief interlude. <laughs> um so Riley, hopefully in the year twenty twenty eight we will meet again in mm-hmm. this capacity mm-hmm. for a recap of not not just to say hello, but I'd be very curious to see, you know, where you are at ten years' time. Yeah. And I'd like to record our meeting. Hopefully we've met before. <laughs> before. I'm leaving to Sydney and never coming back. Um, <laughs> changing my name. I'll, I'll go to Sydney or I'll, I'll travel and, um, yeah. So, Riley, in the year 2028, when we meet again for the Perfume Chronicles podcast series, part two, what would you like to plug? 
what would I like to plug? Mm. How old will I be? Okay, in 2028, I will be 32, which means I would have been the artistic director of a major state theatre company for five years. So it will be my final season at the Sydney Theatre Company. (laughs) (laughs) Or a company somewhere. Fantastic. Let's see. Wow, I just committed to that. I just committed to that statement. And this microphone is magical. I hope it is. I know. Don't dream it, be it. Think it into action. I don't know. That's all. Cut all of that. (laughs) Well, Riley, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Ryan. Thank you.